Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 12. In my class on Sunday evenings, I've been studying through the book of Jeremiah now for most of the year, and I've really enjoyed the study, and I just keep studying through it, and every time I'm like, man, I really would like to preach this to our church. And so after having a few weeks away, I decided to at least take one week away from Acts as we've enjoyed studying there through this year and uh, look at a passage of Scripture that has been on my heart now for several months. And uh, this was something I first was studying for my class. So if you've been in my class, some of this will sound a little bit familiar, but I hope this will be a challenge to all of us this morning. This past week, as we were out of town, we still were trying to keep up with our children's school. And so I got the job of helping Carissa with her math homework. Carissa got a whole lot older on this trip. She turned eight years old. She had a birthday last Saturday, and so that was a big deal, and she's now in third grade, and I was helping her with her math homework, and she had a problem. It was something like nine plus X equals 11, and I thought, wow, this is impressive. She's in third grade, and she's already having to figure out what X is. Some of us are still trying to figure out what X is, and third grade was a long time ago, and I was talking with her about how much fun this was to get to kind of reorder the equation and figure out how to solve for X. And of course, some of you are like, well, that's easy. But you know, when you've only had straight addition, like 9 plus 2 equals what? Having to think about that a little bit different way is good for your mind. And you know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but when I was in math class, I remember sometime the teacher saying, now don't worry, keep working in math because there is a purpose to this. And some of you are still trying to figure out what the purpose is for math class. But uh, I was always assured by my teachers that I would use this stuff later on in life. And maybe I learned it just so I could teach my daughter in third grade. I don't know. But uh, sometimes in life, we go through situations. Maybe it's a math class. Maybe it's something a lot more difficult than a math class. Where we're going through a situation, we say, I have no idea why I'm going through this. I don't know what the purpose for this really could be. Anybody else have that experience? Well, a couple of you. Okay, I'm glad. There's at least a few honest people today. The rest of you, I think, are liars. I don't know. You say, wow, we come to church and calls us liars. Well, maybe you just weren't quick with your hand. I understand. I've been through a few things. I say, what is the purpose of this? And here in Jeremiah chapter 12, Jeremiah is facing a very difficult situation. Let me give you just a little bit of background on the prophet Jeremiah because I think it will help you in our study this morning. Jeremiah was a prophet who was prophesying to the southern kingdom or Judah and Benjamin. He began prophesying during the reign of King Josiah. Now, if you know anything about King Josiah, he began to be king when he was just a boy. And it was under his reign that he commissioned the priests and the Levites to go in and to clean out the temple. The temple had become so full of mess and dirt, it was in such disuse that they had actually lost the scrolls that were the Word of God, that were the copies of the Word of God that they had. And in the process of cleaning out the temple, they found these scrolls. And so Jeremiah had them bring the scrolls out and had them be read to all the people. that time there was a great return or revival in Judah 
about the things of God as the worship of God in the temple was restored and a lot of positive things took place. The problem is, and Jeremiah the prophet points this out, while there was an outward return to the worship of God, Jeremiah points out that the people inwardly in their hearts had not returned to God. They worshiped God on the outside. They were still worshiping the false idols that they had always worshiped prior to that. In fact, Jeremiah says that these people, their actions were right, but their hearts were uncircumcised. That's how he describes it. They, hadn't, they were serving God outwardly, but inwardly in their heart, they weren't set apart to the Lord. In fact, the situation was so bad spiritually in Judah that Jeremiah was prophesying of their coming destruction by Babylon. And God told Jeremiah several times in the book not even to pray for the people that he was preaching to. Now this morning, last night, this past week, I was praying for you. I was praying for our church. I was praying for those who were sick. I was praying for those who were hurting. I was praying for those who are physically strong but needing to be encouraged spiritually. I was praying for each and every one of you. Why? Because I'm supposed to do that. In fact, in the New Testament as a pastor, one of my jobs is to labor in prayer, right? Isn't it amazing that God would tell Jeremiah not even to pray for the people he's preaching to? It's because God knew that their destruction was imminent, that their sin was so consistent that God had decided He was not going to show them mercy again at this point. But Jeremiah, as he's preaching, he's preaching a message that's very unpopular. He's preaching to people that don't want to respond, that don't want to turn, that don't want to follow God. Can you imagine your whole life trying to minister to people that don't want to hear what you have to say? Now, I know there's some mothers in here that say, that, that's kind of what my life is right now. I'm trying to talk to little ones that don't want to hear. But you hope that they grow up someday and do appreciate what you're saying to them. But Jeremiah knew he was doing a ministry that would not get a lot of human recognition in a positive way. In fact, the people were so against his message that they conspired to kill him. And so in Jeremiah chapter 12 and verses 1 through 6, Jeremiah has a conversation with God about his situation, about the struggle that he was in. So let's begin reading Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says this, Righteous art thou, O Lord, this is Jeremiah speaking, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. God, I know you're righteous, but I've got some problems with the way that you're handling things right now. Anybody else ever felt like that? God, I know you're God, but I just don't like how things are working out in the world. They don't seem to make sense. God, I need to talk to you about this. Now, I'm thankful that Jeremiah had such a relationship with his heavenly father that he was willing to talk about his deepest struggles. I think one of the reasons that Jeremiah able to stand with such confidence and preach the word of God even to a people that didn't want to hear him was because Jeremiah was very humble and transparent before his God. Now, Jeremiah doesn't do everything right in this conversation, and I'll, you'll see this in just a minute. 
But I think if you and I are going to stand in this day, if we are going to, as we'll see later on, run with the horses, as God was preparing Jeremiah to run with these horses, then a relationship with God that we deal with the issues that we're struggling with in our heart. What happens when, many times when you struggle? You stop talking to God altogether. That's not the right response. Jeremiah comes to God in his time of struggle. He says, Lord, let me talk with thee of thy judgments. And he begins with a question. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? What a question. God, why are the wicked prospering? Why are those that do evil seeming to get ahead? Anybody else notice that trend in our world today? Why do the wicked prosper? This question that Jeremiah asked is not a new question. And it's a question that people throughout history have struggled with. He says, secondly, wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Lord, I thought doing wrong would bring struggle, would bring judgment. Lord, this seems to go directly opposite to the covenant that you made with the nation of Israel. When God said, I will bless those that bless me and I will curse those who curse me. So God, why is it that those who are cursing are happy? Why is it that those who are doing right are struggling? Anybody else ever feel like that? So the question for us comes, is God really God? Is He really in charge? Or is the Bible just a book full of fairy tales that makes us feel good when we read them, but it doesn't actually match up with the reality of this world that we live in? You know, there are many people who have rejected God and a relationship with Him over that question. So, are we here this morning because we want to know God and have a relationship with Him because He actually is God? Or are we just going through the motions, doing something religious, just so that we'll feel better about ourselves? But really, we don't have any answers. Jeremiah asks a hard question here. God, why are the wicked prospering? He goes on in verse number 2. He says, Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root, they grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. He's talking about all this outward appearance. Notice he says, Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. Ever been around people that talk about God all the time, but God actually directing their life, being in control of them, them allowing God to lead them, it, it, it's nowhere to be seen. Boy, that's a lot of so-called Christians today, isn't it? They talk a good game but their life doesn't back it up. Jeremiah is struggling, and he's struggling with real issues. This isn't just made-up stuff. So in verse 3, Jeremiah is going to give God Jeremiah's solution to the problem. All right, God, there's a problem of wickedness. There's a problem of suffering. There's a problem of the evil getting ahead. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, God, I have a solution to the problem. Notice Jeremiah's solution. Lord, thou knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep to the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. There you go. God, I have the solution. Kill all the bad guys. Anybody else feel like that lately? 
Hmm. Well, you and Jeremiah are alike. By the way, that's not the right answer. We'll get into more of why that is not the right answer here in a minute. Let's look at verse 4 because Jeremiah asks another question. How long shall the land mourn? And the herbs of every field wither. For the wickedness of them that dwell therein, the beasts are consumed, and the birds, because they said, He shall not see our last end. In other words, God's never going to come. He's never going to judge us. We can get away with whatever we want. And Jeremiah says, even the land itself is suffering. There's famine. Even the animals are going hungry. God, don't you care about your creation? Don't you care about this world that you made? God, Jeremiah is saying, don't you care about me? I'm righteous before you. God, I'm doing what's right. Why am I going through what's hard? Why is this land going through hard times? It's the wickedness of people. Lord, why am I suffering and the wicked are prospering? The Lord answers Jeremiah in verse 5 and 6, and he says, If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? Jeremiah, if you're tired right now, you'll never be able to run with the horses. Jeremiah, you're racing against the foot soldiers, but I want you to run with horses. And if in the land of peace wherein thou trustest, they weary thee, if you're tired now when it's peaceful, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? For even thy brethren and the house of thy father, even they have dwelt treacherously with thee. Even your own family is conspiring against you, Jeremiah. Yea, they have called a multitude after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. This morning, I think it's time that we learn to run with the horses. But if we're going to run with the horses, as God was preparing Jeremiah to do, we need to learn some very important truth this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him as to help us as we open our hearts and minds to Him to learn from Him this morning. Lord, help us as this is very important. And I think it's very much where we live today. Lord, running with horses is not easy, clearly. We need Your help. Show us where we're struggling this morning. Point out the pain points in our own lives. Reveal the doubt in our minds and our crises of faith. Help us to look to you this morning. Teach us from your word. Move in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah is struggling with some very real stuff. I think the first thing we can learn about this struggle, and this is true about our own struggle, is that struggle may bring up questions about God. It's normal when you struggle to have questions about God. Jeremiah had two. Why did the wicked prosper? And how long will the land mourn? Why, God? And how long, God? Boy, aren't those questions we have so often? God, why are you doing this? 
God, how long are you going to let it go on? Now, those are questions that God has answers to. But they're not always questions that He lets us have the answers to in this life. You say, okay, well then if that's the answer, I'm done. I'll just go home. Well, you could, but you'd miss out on the best part. But I want you to understand that when you go through struggle, it is natural. Our human flesh wants to question God. I'm so thankful, though, that our God is a kind and loving God. He's merciful. Yes, He's just. He's holy. He's righteous. But God will give us answers from His Word. In fact, He's given us everything that we need through His Word and through His Spirit. Say, but what about when those answers aren't enough? Hmm. That's what He's struggling with. In fact, we see that His struggle brings up questions about God. I think we can also see another reality is that struggle may encourage incorrect reactions. I think Jeremiah has two incorrect reactions. They're related to one another. The first is an improper focus on his own righteousness. Verse 3, says, Lord, you know me. I'm righteous. Lord, you've seen me. You've tried my heart toward thee. God, you know how I am. Now, I call this an improper focus on his own righteousness. Why? Because of his statement that he makes next. God, you know how good I am. So God, kill all the bad people. Here's why I think he was speaking with a bit of pride in his heart here, and this is our struggle as well. If God were to kill all of the wicked, wouldn't God have to kill you and me too? You see, we like God's mercy when it's applied to us. We're not so excited about God's mercy when it's applied to those who have hurt us. Jeremiah says, God, don't you see? Don't you know I'm your faithful servant? I've done what you want me to do, and these people have hurt me. God, destroy them. It's as if Jeremiah is trying to put God in this situation. God, it's either me or them. What about, and Jeremiah didn't know this verse, but we do, for God so loved the world. Lord, there's a lot of wicked people doing wicked things. Why do you let that stuff go on? Because God loves people and He created them in His image. And He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't look forward to suffering. I don't think you do either. But if God allows His child to suffer, it's okay. Because He is His child. You are His child. And even if you suffer to the point of death, it's not death to die as a Christian. It's just a passing over into eternal life in heaven with the Lord forever. We like to hang on tightly to what we have in this life. 
But you know, everything you and I have in this life, it's not really ours. It's something God gave us in the first place. Lord, this is my time. This is my money. This is my house. This is my country. This is mine. This is my family. All of that's a gift from God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And what should our response be? Blessed be the name of the Lord. A problem sometimes in struggle that causes us to pull back, to pull in, to shut down, to get depressed, to get discouraged. Because sometimes we'd rather be God. Say, God, I think those people are past deserving your mercy. God, why would you let them go on? God, I can't see any purpose in this whatsoever. Struggle may encourage incorrect reactions. Jeremiah really pours his heart out to God. He pours out the struggle. I would tell you, some of the things he's saying to God are not right, so God corrects him in his answer in verses 5 and 6. But God's answer to Jeremiah, I find it really interesting. Most of God's answer comes in the form of a question. God is a great teacher. He's a great instructor. And often, even Christ in the New Testament would answer questions with more questions. Do you remember when Job was struggling with all the things he was going through? And what did God do with Job? He came and he asked him a question. Job, where were you when I formed this world? Job, where were you when I put the stars in place? Where were you, Job? <laughs> and God answers Jeremiah with a question. Jeremiah, he says, If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? So I think we can learn thirdly this morning that struggle can be better understood by asking the right questions. Often when we struggle, we tend to ask the wrong questions, don't we? Lord, why and how long? But instead of asking how long or why or how can I get out of this, I think instead our question should be, what can I get out of this? God, what are you teaching me? God, what do I need to learn? Lord, who can I encourage? Lord, how can I respond properly in this situation? I like what Warren Wearsby said. He said, God's servants don't live by explanations. They live by promises. Understanding explanations may satisfy our curiosity and make us smarter people, but laying hold of God's promises will build our character and make us better servants. Now, God explains a lot to us in His Word. But He also leaves some, some things unexplained, and He just gives us promises. Explanations make us smarter. Promises held on to make us better servants. 
We walk by faith and not by sight. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's explanation. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. Asking the right questions. Not, how can I get out of this? What can I get out of this? And here's where I want to spend the rest of our time. In these last two verses, understanding that struggle is part of God's plan always has a purpose. Always has a purpose. We don't always get to see the purpose, but I think there's three very clear things about God's purpose in, in struggle that we can learn from the Lord's answer to Jeremiah. Number one, we understand that the spiritual life is like running a long, hard race. Horses can run a long time, and they're generally pretty fast. They're faster and can run farther generally than a foot soldier. He follows up that question with another question. If in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest. Right now, Jeremiah, you think it's hard? It's actually easy. This is a land of peace. He says, if they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? When the Jordan River swells, overflows its banks, when there's flood season, when it's difficult passage, then what are you going to do, Jeremiah? The Christian life is like a long, hard race. If you want the financially secure life, don't serve God. If you want the physically comfortable life, don't serve God. Running with horses is hard. In fact, it's harder than running with the footman. That's our second truth we can understand. Spiritual life doesn't get easier, it gets harder. That's backwards to some of our thinking, right? Well, I, I always thought the longer you serve God, the easier it got. Well, God just has bigger challenges for you. That's like thinking that, you know, 10th grade is easier than 3rd grade. Or that your sophomore year of college is easier than your senior year of high school. Or that your fourth year of grad school is easier than... Well, yeah, there are certain things you get better at. But it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. That's like thinking that marriage is easier than being single. Or that getting old is easier than being young. Isn't it interesting though? I, at least in my thinking, maybe this is just me. But I think a lot of times we kind of run under that assumption that if I can just get through this, it'll get easier. Sometimes we motivate ourselves with that thought, right? Oh, this is a busy time. This is a hard time. If I just get through this, it'll get easier. And you're like, oh, no, it's like climbing a mountain. You came over this little rise and, oh, there's a bunch more of the mountain. We just couldn't see it before. We thought we were getting to the top. We were just getting over the next bump. And you're like, there's a whole bunch more mountain to climb. Sometimes as new parents, you think, 
well, if I can just get through this pregnancy and have the baby, well, then you have the baby. Babies are babysat easier when they're on the inside than when they're on the outside. Even though I know for a mother that's a big chore getting them outside. Well, when I'm done with the two-year-olds, then it'll be easier because then there'll be four or six. No, they're just faster at doing wrong. <laughs> well, once they get to be a teenager, they can drive themselves. Well, now they can go even faster and get it, drive themselves into wrecks and get tickets and hurt themselves quicker. The spiritual life's like running a long, hard race. It's, it gets harder, not easier. Paul said this in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived spiritually. He says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Why do the wicked prosper? See, the problem of wickedness was not a problem for God. When God is ready to bring His judgment, He'll do it. And it'll happen very quickly. Dealing with wickedness is not a problem with God. But what God won't do is force you to grow spiritually. God won't force you to have a closer relationship with Him. God won't force you to be a more faithful servant. Because as God allows the difficulty in our life, the New Testament sometimes referred to as the refiner's fire, will come forth as gold. To purify gold, it's got to pass through the fire. And to get it really pure, it's got to pass through multiple times. We don't like struggle. We don't like the wickedness around us. But those things are not a problem for God. I mean, when you read the book of Revelation and when the Lord comes back and, and all that takes place, for believers, that's an amazing journey that we're going to take. For those who have not trusted in Christ as their Savior, it's going to be a few awful days and years on into eternity. And it'll happen really quickly. But we look at the struggle and say, God, why do you keep letting it go on? Because God loves people. God, I think you should just kill them all and be done with it now. Well, trust God in His process to do it in His time. I think the third thing we learn about struggle here from the Lord's answer to Jeremiah is that the spiritual life gets better as you grow in maturity. I would argue that running with horses is better than running against footmen. It's not easier, but it is better. In 1 Kings chapter 19, there's the story of Elijah when he goes to the top of Mount Carmel 
and he prays and God sends down fire from heaven. And then God sends rain. You remember at the end of the chapter, the Bible tells us that Elijah sent his servant to Ahab and says, get ready, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And so Ahab gets in his chariot and the rains come and the Bible tells us that Elijah outruns, he runs before Ahab's chariot, he outruns those horses back to the king's palace. But there's a little phrase in there that's really important. Why was Elijah able to outrun those actual physical horses? It says that the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah. You and I can't run with horses in our own strength. It's something that only God can give you strength to do. But God gives you the strength as you learn to rely upon Him. Because the reality is, if you never had any struggle, you probably wouldn't rely on God. You'd be like, I've got this. I'm strong enough. I can do this. God says, no, you can't. We think we can do it when it's easy, but we really can't even do it when it's easy either. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, for without me, you can do nothing. But we sure try, don't we? I'm going to prove God wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to do something here. I know we never say that, but that, that's kind of how our life is sometimes, isn't it? God, I'm going to figure this situation out. Oh, what's he say in Philippians chapter 4? Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. No, Lord, I've got this one. I've been serving you a long time. I can figure this out. Stop. Pray. Ask him for direction. Now, this is not teaching that we just lay down on our backs and do nothing. No, he's running with horses. That's not nothing. But it is understanding that everything that we're doing must be in the Lord's strength. When we face the struggle and the wickedness around us, instead of just shutting down and closing in and, and going into our little hermit crab hole and saying, I'll just hang out here till Jesus comes back. No, it's time to stand up and to say, God, what do you have for me? You know, later on in the book of Jeremiah, one of the ways he ended up running with horses was he got thrown in a pit and he was in mud up to his neck. So Jeremiah wasn't running very fast. I guarantee you that was harder than it had been in the time of peace. Sometimes you're running with horses may not look like running with horses to everybody else. In fact, other people may look at your life and say, man, they're not doing anything. But you know what God's doing in your life. You know where God's placed you. Sometimes the running with horses is God putting you in a place where you feel like you can't get out and do what you want to do. Some of us have been through some, and some of you have been through some health things over the past year. Some of our folks watching online are going through that right now. I thought running with horses was running around doing all kinds of stuff. No, sometimes it's being stuck in a pit with mud up to your neck. Sometimes it's, it's being so shut down that you're not sure what to do. Other times it's being put in situations that are extremely uncomfortable or where you're pushed into an opportunity to say, I don't know how to stand up and do this. I don't know how to, how to lead in this situation. And God says, well, look to me, follow me. Stop trying to lead and do in your own strength, whether it's at work or with your family, whether it's in church. 
Sometimes we stray away or, or shy away from ministering to the Lord in church. I could never do that. I could never share my faith with somebody who's lost. I could never get up and teach that class. I could never disciple somebody. I don't have, I don't know. God's given you everything you need. He's trying to prepare you. He's working to prepare you for something greater than you're currently doing. But where he has you is right where he wants you. Because that's the best place of service and preparation. That's something, that's a concept I've been studying in the scripture. And I don't have time to go into it this morning. It'll probably be another series for another time. But how often the place, your current place of service, the current place that God has you, is also the place of preparation for the next place of service. You kind of trace that through scripture that sometimes we think, well, I'm just here for training. No, you're also here as a usable servant in that position. But while God's using you here, He's also training you to do something else. It's an interesting thought to think about, isn't it? So sometimes you're like, well, if I could just get done with school, then I could do something valuable with my life. No, God has you in school to do something valuable right now. By school, I'm not saying necessarily fourth grade or eighth grade or twelfth grade. I'm just saying wherever God has you in your life, so well, God must be trying to teach me something. And once I learn it, then I'll go do something for God. No, serve God right now. Be faithful here. Be faithful now. The Christian life is a long, hard race. It gets harder, not easier, but it gets better as you grow in maturity. Philip Brooks, the man who wrote the lyrics to the Christmas song that we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, he said it this way, you don't build character by being a spectator. The spiritual race is not easy and it is often long. The perfect example is not Jeremiah or Paul, it is Jesus. The Bible says of Jesus in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 3, 1 through 3, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. Here's our example. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the faith, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Yet, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You may have come in here this morning weary and tired, depressed, discouraged. Lord, what's going on around us? What are we going to do? Why, do you, why are the wicked prospering so much? They seem happy. And I'm frustrated. God, my plans are not working out very well. Lord, what I wanted to see take place is not taking place. Lord, how long is this going to go on? Lord, when are you going to return? Lord, when is your judgment going to come? Lord, I think you ought to take care of it all right now. No. Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust your promises. I don't need explanations. I'm going to trust your word. Lord, I know you have something for me to learn in this situation. Lord, there's somebody you want me to share Christ with. Lord, there's somebody you want me to encourage. 
Lord, clearly you're preparing me for something else, something greater. Lord, you're preparing me to do something that I, I couldn't even imagine that I'd be able to do. I mean, how many of you ever woke up and said, I think today I'll race against a horse? No. I mean, imagine if after church day I said, we're going to go out here in the parking lot, we're going to have a race and see who can run the fastest. Most of you wouldn't even get in the race. You'd go, Why? Because we're not very fast. Well, I know I'd lose anyway. I'm too old, too fat, too tired, whatever. My leg hurt, my knee hurt. Well, kids, you race, you race, you race. What if after church this morning I brought a horse in? I said, all right, who wants to race the horse? All right, what's the point? What's the point? going to lose anyway. Sometimes the spiritual life can almost feel pointless. Why are we even in this anyway? God, why are we going through this struggle? God, what are we doing? Can you imagine, though, if we brought a horse in here and you said, oh, I think I'll do it. And you got up there and you got ready to run. You took off and you actually could run with that horse. Go, wow, how did they do that? He said, it was the Lord. <laughs> I couldn't do it in my own strength. God wants to do that in our lives. No, it may not be a physical, actual horse, but I don't think God here is speaking in a concrete sense. He's speaking as a picture, right? He's giving us a comparison. If you're tired running against footmen, well, you'll never be able to run with horses. Well, of course. So, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to rest in my promises. I want you to trust my plan. I want you to keep your eyes on me no matter what comes. Maybe you've been frustrated, struggling, got your eyes off of Christ. You're discouraged by what you see around you. This morning, I want you to know there's hope. God has a plan. God's concerned with making you into the image of Jesus Christ. And yes, He will allow struggle to bring that about. Struggle that God brings in our life is not bad. It's good because it comes from God. Now, the causes of that struggle in this world at large may be sin, may be wickedness. But God can even use those things to bring Himself glory. You know what? God loves those wicked people too. And maybe, just maybe, as we stand for Christ and as we share the good news, God will continue to do His work of saving them. You know, Jesus and His disciples, when they walked through Samaria that day and Jesus stopped at the well, His disciples weren't interested in talking to anybody or seeing anybody. They ran into town to get some food as quick as they could and came back. Meanwhile, Jesus spends his time with a woman there, a wicked woman, a woman that even her own people didn't want to be around. But that woman came to Christ that day, and she helped to bring her whole town to hear Jesus. You know, Jeremiah's ministry seemed very ineffective. The people he preached to did not turn and follow the Lord. But, when you read further on into the Old Testament, you come across some names of some young men. A young man by the name of Daniel. 
Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, or as we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now the Bible doesn't tell us for sure if they sat and heard Jeremiah preach, but these were the guys who were taken in captivity by the Babylonians. Jeremiah had prophesied it would take place. I don't know who shared the truth with Daniel and his friends, but somebody did. Perhaps it was Jeremiah. Perhaps it was somebody that had been impacted by Jeremiah's message. Even when we look at somebody like Jeremiah and we say, what was the use? What was the purpose? God had a plan. And I don't think we can even see it all. But I sure am thankful for the stand that, Jer that Daniel took. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were taken in before the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll give you one more chance. The music's going to play. And if you will bow down, then I won't throw you in the fiery furnace. And remember their answer? O king, we're not careful to answer thee concerning this matter. Our God is able to save us. But whether He does or not, what do they say? We will not bow. How did they know that what God was able to do? Because somebody taught them about God. Maybe it was their parents. Maybe it was another friend. Maybe it was Jeremiah. You don't know who's listening. You don't know who's following, who's paying attention to your stand for the Lord. This past week, we were got to stay with the Connors, our missionaries, but then we got to stay with my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Holmes, and her husband. And he was our music director when I was growing up at our church. And so we were sitting on their back porch. They retired, moved out to Arizona. And Micah had his guitar, and we were singing songs. And I thought Mr. Holmes would enjoy that because he's a music guy and still leading music at a little church there in Arizona. And I said, Micah, I want you to play When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And I said, Micah, we're going to sing together the third verse, which says, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? I said, Mike, I want to sing that verse because, and Mr. Holmes was sitting right there. I said, because that's Mr. Holmes' favorite verse of any hymn in the whole world. And I caught Mr. Holmes. I was trying to encourage him, but I was also trying to teach Mike something. And I caught Mr. Holmes. A tear was in his eye. He looked at me and he said, how did you know that? I said, Mr. Holmes, I was sitting out there when you were leading singing for all those years. He said, and you remember that? I said, yeah. I said, there was somebody listening. It was me. I believe if we'll stand for Christ, if we'll be willing to, yes, even run with the horses, even when it's hard, there's somebody listening. There's somebody watching. There's somebody that you have an impact on. So many times you'd be like, who, me? What? Nobody's paying attention. Nobody cares. I'm tired. 
I don't want to get up there and do that again. I don't want to go through this again. It's painful. It's difficult. God has you here for a purpose. And he'll use you for his glory. Let's be faithful to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. We need you, Lord. The world is dark, but the light is bright. We have such hope because of Christ. We have hope of eternal life. And not just eternal life, we have the promises and the answers that we need to live this life right now in service to our King, no matter what comes. Lord, there's probably somebody here, maybe several, who are discouraged. They're facing wickedness in their workplace, in their home, their neighborhood, and in our world. Lord, it's so easy to struggle as we look around us. Think of the song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Lord, may our eyes turn to You this morning. Be reminded once again of who You are. Lord, if there's somebody here today that's never trusted in You, I pray that today would be the day that they would trust in You, follow You. Lord, we come up with so many questions because it doesn't seem to be good answers in this world. But I'm thankful that you've given us everything that we need. Help us to trust you this morning in Jesus' name.